Chapter Thirteen of the Tribulations of a Chinaman in China. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeanie Whitfield. The Tribulations of a Chinaman in China by Jules Verne, translated by Virginia Champlin. Chapter Thirteen, in which is heard the celebrated lament called "The Five Periods in the Life of a Centenarian." gentlemen said kin fu to his two bodyguards when the wheelbarrow stopped at the entrance of the suburb of tong chow we are now only forty leagues from pekin and it is my intention to stop here until the time that the agreement between wang and myself shall have ended in this city of four hundred thousand souls it will be easy for me to remain unknown if soon does not forget that he is in Kinan's service, a humble merchant in the province of Chen Si. No, certainly not. Soon would not forget it again. His stupidity had forced him to fill the place of a horse the past eighty days, and he hoped that Mr. Kin Fu, Ki said Craig, Nan said Cry, would not again take him from his customary work and now considering his fatigue he asked just one thing of mr kin fu ki said craig nan repeated fry permission to sleep forty-eight hours at least at a stretch with bridle slackened or rather without any harness at all for a week if you wish answered kin fu i shall be sure at least that in sleeping you will not talk Kin Fu and his companions then busied themselves in looking for a good hotel, which was not wanting in Tongchao. This vast city is in truth but an immense suburb of Pekin. The paved road which unites it to the capital is bordered the whole length with villas, houses, agricultural hamlets, tombs, small pagodas, and grassy enclosures. And on this route the travel of carriages, cavaliers, and foot-passengers is constant. Kin Fu was acquainted with the city, and was escorted to the Taekwang Mao, the temple of the sovereign princes. It is simply a bonds temple, transformed into a hotel where strangers can lodge quite comfortably. Kin Fu, Craig, and Fry immediately located there, and the two agents took a room adjoining that of their precious charge. As for Soon, he disappeared to sleep in the corner assigned him, and was seen no more. An hour later Kin Fu and his followers left their rooms, breakfasted with a good appetite, and asked each other what was necessary to be done. It is necessary, answered Craig Fry, to read the official gazette in order to see if there is any article which concerns us. You are right, answered Kin Fu. Perhaps we shall learn what has become of Wang. All three men left the hotel. Through prudence, the two acolytes walked by the side of their patron looking into the faces of passers-by, without allowing themselves to be approached by any one. They went thus through the narrow streets of the city, and reached the wharves. There a copy of the official gazette was bought and eagerly read. Nothing, nothing in it but the promise of two thousand dollars, or thirteen hundred towels, to whoever would make known to William J. Bidulp the present residence of Mr. Wang of Shanghai. So, said Kin Fu, he has not returned. Therefore he has not read the advertisement concerning him, answered Craig. 
and will still keep to the terms of the agreement, added Fry. But where can he be? cried Kin Fu. Sir, said Fry Craig, do you think you are in greater danger during the last days of the agreement? Most certainly I do, answered Kin Fu. Wang does not know the change in my circumstances, and it seems probable he will not be able to free himself from the necessity of keeping his promise. Therefore, in two or three days, I shall be in greater danger than I am to-day, and in six greater still. But when the time has passed, I shall have nothing more to fear. Well, sir, answered Craig Fry, there are only three ways of ridding yourself of all danger during these six days. What is the first? asked Kin Fu. It is to return to the hotel, said Craig to shut yourself up in your room and wait till the time has expired and the second is to have yourself arrested as a criminal answered fry in order to be placed in safety in the prison of tang chow and the third is to pass yourself off for dead answered fry craig and only to come to life again when safety is yours once more you do not know wang cried kin fu wang would find his way into my hotel my prison or my tomb if he has not killed me so far, it is because he has not wished to do so, or it was because it seemed to him preferable to leave me the pleasure or the anxiety of waiting. Who knows what can have been his motive? Under all circumstances, I prefer to wait in liberty. We will wait then. Yet, said Craig, it seems to me that, added Fry, gentlemen, interrupted Kin Fu in a curt tone, I will do what pleases me, after all, if I die before the 25th of this month. What will your company lose? Two hundred thousand dollars, answered Fry Craig. Two hundred thousand dollars, which we shall have to pay to your heirs. And I lose all my fortune, without counting my life. I am then more interested than you in the matter. To be sure, very true continue then to watch over me as long as you think proper but i shall act after my own inclination there was nothing to be said in reply craig fry were then obliged to give him more liberty and to double their precautions but they did not conceal from themselves that the gravity of the situation grew more decided every day tong chow is one of the most ancient cities in the celestial empire situated on the canal arm of the pai ho at the junction of another canal which unites it with peking it is the centre of great business activity while its suburbs are extremely lively from the going and coming of its inhabitants kin fu and his companions were more strongly impressed by this stir when they reached the wharf where sandpans and the junks of commerce are anchored finally craig and fry after having weighed everything came to the conclusion that they were safer in the midst of a crowd. The death of their patron would apparently be owing to suicide. The letter which would be found on him would leave no doubt on that score. Wang, therefore, would have no interest in striking him except under certain conditions, which did not present themselves in frequented streets or in the public place of a city. Consequently, Kin Fu's guardians did not fear an immediate attack. The only thing now was to ascertain if the Taiping, through marvelous skill, had not been following in their track since they left Shanghai. So they made good use of their eyes in scanning the faces of the passers-by. Suddenly a name was spoken which made them listen intently. 
Kin Fu! Kin Fu! cried several Chinese children from among the crowd, jumping up and down and clapping their hands. Had Kin Fu been recognized? And did his name produce the usual effect? The unwilling hero stopped. Craig Fry stood ready in case of need to make a rampart of their bodies around him. These cries were not addressed to Kin Fu, for no one seemed to suspect that he was there. Therefore he did not stir, but waited to find out why his name had been spoken. A group of men, women, and children had formed around a strolling singer who seemed greatly in favor with the street public, who shouted, clapped their hands, and applauded him. When the singer found himself in the presence of a sufficiently large audience, he drew from his robe a package of placards with colored illustrations, then shouted in a sonorous voice, The Five Periods in the Life of the Centenarian. It was the famous lament heard everywhere in the Celestial Empire. Craig Fry wished to drag their charge away, but this time Kin Fu obstinately persisted in remaining. No one knew him. He had never heard the lament which told his ways and doings, and he desired to hear it. The singer began thus. In the first period, the moon shines on the pointed roof of the house at Shanghai. Kin Fu is young, he is twenty, and resembles the willow whose first leaves show their little green tongue. In the second period, the moon shines on the east side of the costly yamen, Kin Fu is forty, his ten thousand business affairs are successful. According to his wishes, the neighbors sing his praises. The singer's expression changed, and he seemed to grow old at every verse. They loaded him with applause, and he continued. In the third period, the moon lights the open space. Kin Fu is sixty. After the green leaves of summer come the yellow chrysanthemums of autumn. In the fourth period, the moon has declined to the west. Kin Fu is eighty. His body is drawn up like a crab in boiling water. His life is waning, waning with the star of night. In the fifth, the cocks hail the birth of Dawn, Kin Fu is a hundred. He is dying. His strongest desire accomplished, but the disdainful Prince Yen refuses to receive him. Prince Yen does not like old people who would go into second childhood in his court. The old Kin Fu will wander through all eternity without ever being able to rest. And the crowd applauded, and the singer sold his laments by the hundred at three sepiques a copy. And why should not Kin Fu buy one? He drew out some small change from his pocket, and, extending his arm through the first rows of the crowd, held out a handful. But all at once his hand opened and the money fell to the ground. Opposite him stood a man whose gaze met his. Ah, cried Kin Fu, who would not restrain this exclamation, which was both interrogative and exclamatory. Fry Craig surrounded him, thinking him recognized, menaced, shot it dead, perhaps. Wang, he cried. Wang, repeated Craig Fry. Wang, repeated Craig Fry. It was Wang, in person. He had just perceived his former pupil, 
but instead of rushing at him, he pushed vigorously through the last rows of the crowd and ran off as fast as his long legs would carry him. Kin Fu did not hesitate. He wished to understand this intolerable situation and set out in pursuit of Wang, escorted by Fry Craig, who wished neither to go ahead nor to remain behind. They, too, had recognized the lost philosopher and understood by the surprise the latter had just manifested that he no more expected to see Kin Fu than Kin Fu expected to see him. Now why was Wang running away? It was quite inexplicable, but yet he was running off as if all the police in the Celestial Empire were at his heels. It was a mad pursuit. I am not ruined, Wang! Wang! Not ruined! cried Kin Fu. Rich! Rich! repeated Fry Craig. But Wang kept at too great a distance to hear these words, which were intended to make him stop. He passed the wharf, the canal, and reached the entrance of the western suburb. The three pursuers flew after him, but did not catch up with him. On the contrary, the fugitive threatened to outdistance them. Half a dozen Chinamen, to say nothing of two or three couple of Tipaios, joined Kin Fu, concluding that a man who could make off so fast must be a malefactor. It was a curious spectacle this breathless shouting screaming group adding on the way numerous volunteers to its number those around the singer had plainly heard kin fu speak the name of wang fortunately the philosopher had not answered by that of his pupil for all the city would have followed so celebrated a man but wang's name sufficed wang that enigmatical person whose discovery was worth an enormous reward this was well known so that if kin fu ran after the eight hundred thousand dollars of his fortune craig fry after the two hundred thousand insurance the others were running after the two thousand dollars reward and it must be acknowledged it was enough to make them all take to their heels wang wang i am richer than ever Kin Fu kept saying, as well as his speed would permit. Not ruined, not ruined, repeated Craig Fry. Stop, stop, cried the majority of the pursuers, increasing in their number and running faster and faster and making the dust fly under their feet. Wang heard nothing, but with his elbows close to his chest, kept on unwilling to exhaust himself by answering or to lose any of his speed for the pleasure of turning his head. They were now beyond the suburbs, and Wang hastened over the paved route along the canal. On this route, which was then almost deserted, the field was free. He still increased his speed, but naturally his pursuers also doubled their efforts, and this wild chase was kept up nearly twenty minutes, and nothing could foretell the result. However, the fugitive appeared to lose strength somewhat. The distance which he had maintained between the pursuers and himself to this moment tended to diminish. So Wang, perceiving this, doubled on himself and disappeared behind the shrubbery in front of a small pagoda at the right hand of the road. Ten thousand tiles to whoever will stop him, cried Kin Fu. Ten thousand tails, repeated Craig Fry. Yah, 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 screamed the group farthest ahead, winding around the walls of the pagoda. Wang had come inside again, and was following a narrow cross-path along a canal, where, in order to perplex his pursuers, he made a new turn, which placed him again on the paved road. But when there, it was apparent that he was becoming exhausted, for he turned his head around several times. Kin Fu, Craig, and Fry, on their part, 
were as fresh as ever. They walked on, or rather flew, and not one of the rapid runners after Tails succeeded in gaining upon them. The denouement was now approaching. It was only a question of time, and a comparatively short time, a few moments at most. Wang, Kin Fu, and his companions had all reached the place where the main road crossed the river over the celebrated bridge of Palikau. Eighteen years before, on the 21st of September, 1860, they would not have had free passage over this point in the province of Pichili. The highway was then encumbered by fugitives of another kind. The army of General San Ko Li Zin, an uncle of the emperor, being repulsed by French battalions, halted at Palikiao on this bridge, a magnificent work of art, with a white marble balustrade and bordered by a double row of gigantic lions. It was there that the Manchurian Tartars, so incomparably brave in their fatalism, were cut down by the balls of the European cannon. But the bridge, which still bears the marks of battle in its defaced statues, became free. Wang, growing weaker, dashed across the road, and Kin Fu, and all the rest, by a great effort, approached him. Soon twenty, then fifteen, then ten steps only separated them. It was of no use now to try to stop Wang by useless words, which he could not or would not hear. They must catch up with him and seize him and bind him if necessary. They could explain afterwards. Wang understood that he was about to be overtaken, and, as if from some inexplicable notion, seemed to dread finding himself face to face with his former pupil, and was going to risk his life to escape him. Indeed, with one bound, Wang jumped upon the railing of the bridge and flung himself into the pei ho. Kin Fu stopped a moment and called, Wang! Wang! Then, making a sudden bound, he shouted, I will have him alive, and he sprang into the river. Craig, said Fry. Fry, said Craig. Two hundred thousand dollars in the water. And both, leaping over the railing, plunged into the succor of the ruinous patron of the centenary. A few of the volunteers followed them. They looked like so many clowns leaping bars. But so much zeal was useless. Craig Fry and the others, allured by the premium, searched the Pehu in vain. Wang could not be found. Drawn on by the current, no doubt, the unfortunate philosopher had floated away. Had Wang only desired to escape pursuit by plunging into the river? Or for some mysterious reason had he resolved to end his days? No one could tell. Two hours later, Kin Fu, Craig, and Fry, disappointed but perfectly dry and refreshed, and soon waked up out of the depths of his sleep, and swearing as was to be expected, were on their way to begin. End of chapter 13 Recording by Jeannie Whitfield, Mississippi, USA